Good morning. We're, one thing we're doing from week to week is we're taking time to focus on God's commitments to us and what we've said that that's critical. Um, faith, biblically, ends up being put in God's promises. So uh, what we're doing, Shane, I'm going to ask Shane to come up. He's going to talk about um, the power to uh, persevere. Well, good morning, everybody. (laughs) All right, my name is Shane Holtman. I'm here today to talk about power of perseverance, which I, just like a lot of us, have had plenty of experience dealing with. My family and I have been coming to Hope since the fall of 1995, a few years before we were married and started a family. When I knew that I was going to do this testimony today, I figured a good place for me to start would be to look at the definition of perseverance. So here it is. Perseverance is a continued effort to do or achieve something despite difficulties, failure, or opposition. I decided to make a list of all the examples of times I've persevered in my life, which once I started my list, I just had to stop. It was just too much. seemed like way too much. There was a lot on my list. But I kept coming back to one thing that I kept repeating itself, just in different ways. It was my faith. So to give a little background on my faith, I grew up in a very loving house with my mom and my two brothers. We fought like brothers do, but there was always lots of love in our house. Uh, we, were, we were a Catholic family. We went to church most Sundays, and I attended catechism all the way up until I was confirmed. Then something changed. And it wasn't just with me. I started to question things, why we do this and do not get what we want, and why we don't do other things and still seem to not get what we need or want. My mom was also seemingly having the same kind of issues with her perspective on faith and maybe even God, or at least the God we thought we knew. Then from what I can remember, the church going, for the most part, just kind of stopped. I was given the choice after my confirmation to go to church or not, and being a typical teenager, I, of course, chose to sleep in on Sundays. After all, it seemed like it was a a try-hard-and-give-up cycle that there was just no way out of. After that, I just kind of cruised through my late teen years with no relationship and really no desire for a relationship with God. At that point, I kind of thought I'd been there and done that and got the T-shirt. At some point during this time frame, I met my now wife, Lisa, and her family. At first, I was a little intimidated by her family. After all, they were church people, and I wasn't. Oddly enough, out of nowhere, and in my experience, the last place I thought I would get it, this was my first time, not the last, that I was shown what grace is all about. It came from Lisa's parents, and specifically her mom. When, I, when Lisa and I started to get more serious, I was attending church with her and her family, and at some point I just knew that I wasn't getting what I needed out of it. And Lisa really wasn't either. So that's where we, this, the first experience of grace came into play. We approached her parents about this. Boy, was I nervous. I had no idea how they would react. Well, I had in my mind how I thought they would react, which was why I was nervous. I was nervous for no reason at all. Their reaction wasn't really a reaction. Actually, they were happy that we wanted to find a place together. 
I truly couldn't believe it. So we started looking for a church for us. We looked and looked and looked, just when I felt like we almost had given up and we were going to have to settle. We went to this church that met at O'Gorman, which already had me a little twisted, to be honest. (laughs) I wish I could remember the exact sermon that day that Mike gave, but I don't. I wish I did, because that would make this story a lot cooler, but I don't. (laughs) What I do remember is getting out to the car and sitting in silence for a moment, and I said to Lisa, did it feel like he was talking directly to you? And it didn't feel harsh or judgmental. Um, and we've been coming to hope ever since. While that is certainly a good example of perseverance, I've come to realize that my struggle with continuing to learn how to remain with my unwanted circumstances, feelings, thoughts, and to put all my trust with God is both the most difficult thing and the easiest thing for me to do. I'm encouraged to know that I'm not on this journey alone. I know that I'm walking this walk with other people, people that I really admire, knowing that they, along with me, are on the same quest to find peace and understanding of what it means to truly believe God really sees us. And that's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. I hear, that I, I hear things that I need to hear, that God is helios and non-reactive to us, no matter what. He loves us despite our circumstances and helps us to deal gently with ourselves, which leads to dealing gently with others. I know that I get strength and encouragement from him when I'm dealing with those difficult circumstances. And I know that just like Mike always says, I know I have to keep coming back. I love hearing this every week. That gives me the power to persevere. Thank you. Thanks, Shane. Well, I mentioned one thing we're going to do. There's a couple things that uh, are points of obedience that Jesus asks us to do. One of them is um, baptism. And it's faith in Christ that allows us to be members of God's forever family. But one way that we express that is by being baptized. That's a public affirmation of a personal decision. I got married, and it's the vows that I made that constitute the marriage. But as a public symbol of having been married, I wear a ring. And so if you try to find, what is baptism? Baptism is kind of like putting on the ring. It's a, it's a public display and profession of a personal decision. We're going to end up doing that the first week in June. And so if you want to talk about getting baptized, you don't get baptized because you have to do that to be a member of this church or any denomination. It's not, it's, it's not a denominational choice. It's Jesus says this is the way we communicate to the world that we believe in him. And that's what it's about. It's about Jesus asks us to do it. And, and so if you want to talk about that, I'd be happy to talk with you about that. Uh, we're talking about... Uh, Words lost in translation, that they mean one thing, but what they've come to mean is not necessarily what they meant at the time the Bible talked about them. And what we're going to talk about today are temptations. When you think of temptation, what do you think of? You know, temptation is kind of, 
it's, it's, it's a desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. You know, if you're tempted to do something, oftentimes it's not a good thing that you're tempted to do. Sometimes temptation is a solicitation to evil. So I tempt, I try to draw you in to do something that you might not ordinarily do. That's, we get the sense of temptation being something like that. Biblically, it really does paint a different picture biblically. We're going to try to get our hands around why temptations are allowed and actually introduced into our life and for what we'll see is a good purpose. And we'll think about how we are able to put ourselves in a position where we respond rather than react to them. Uh, James is the one who, in the first chapter, um, tells us about temptations. Look what he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers. Whenever you face trials, and the word literally there, it's trials, it's literally the word temptations. So whenever you face temptations of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And what hits us right to begin with, temptations, according to James, are not unfortunate, regrettable events. They're not solicitations to evil. They're not being steered or lured to do something wrong or unwise. We are to actually consider it all joy when we encounter them. Consider it all joy, literally translated, be led to joy. So here's the image. You're in a hard place and you're on a hard road and it's difficult and it's unpleasant and it surfaces unwanted feelings. They're unwelcome circumstances. Consider it joy is to consider what this road will lead to. So if you stay on this road and contend with these difficulties, consider it all joy, be led to joy, is an experience in the present because you're aware of where this road will lead in the future. And it doesn't lead to smiling or feeling wonderful about where you are, but it's a little bit more tolerable to endure something when you understand that a temporary inconvenience is going to lead at some level to something positive, to something good. That's the sense. Joy is about where the road is leading. It's not about smiling in the midst of discomfort. It's not about being in a hard place and saying it's wonderful. It's not the point. That's hypocrisy. So while we might not smile, there is a sense of peace and rest that comes from things are difficult now. But what God says is that these temptations, and we'll talk more about that, they will lead to a good end. Let's make a few observations about temptations. Temptations are developmental, not punitive. When you think of temptations, we oftentimes think about being drawn into something that is um, wrong. It's, but really what temptations are about, they are focused on 
what we will do right in the future. And that's the, the focus of temptations biblically. It's not God sticking out his foot trying to trip us up to see how weak our resolve is. That's not temptations in God's hand. Temptations in God's hand are enduring something that will create in the future the kind of character that will allow us to be who he wants us to be and do what he wants us to do. They're developmental. They're not punitive. Um, Temptations develop spiritual usefulness The ability to remain in unpleasant circumstances is necessary to spiritual usefulness. I'm going to say that again. It's the ability to learn to remain in unpleasant circumstances and not not like it, but to endure it is necessary to spiritual development. It is the tool that God uses to make us perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. I like the step seven prayer in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It says, I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character that gets in the that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Temptations develop spiritual usefulness. Difficult things allow us to get to the place where we can provide wisdom and gentleness and care for other people. Um, why will we experience temptations? And if you are a follower of Christ, they're non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. You will not, if you follow Jesus, have everything you want to have. You will not do everything you want to do. You will not feel everything you want to feel. You will not think everything you want to think. You will be challenged. You will have things you don't want. You will think things you don't want to think. You will do things you don't want to do. You'll feel things you don't want to feel. These things are not pleasant, but they do lead to a place. How do we manage temptations? How do we cope with having things we don't want? I've said this before. The toughest thing that I deal with is dealing with me when me doesn't get what me wants. You understand that? Understand that? Dealing with me when me doesn't get what me wants. Um, What James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. This passage tells us to do two things. Number number one, it asks us to request wisdom. We usually associate wisdom with something that actually really worked out well for us. You know, I was going to do this and that, and, and I prayed, and boy, I got this idea, and I had ended up coming up, it ended up working great. You know, I was, I was able to get the promotion, or I was able to, to get the apartment, or I was able to get the car, or whatever it is. Wisdom actually 
in the context of James, it's not about allowing us to get what we want. Strangely, wisdom allows us not to get what we want. Wisdom allows us to tolerate being in difficult, unpleasant places. Uh, That's the sense of wisdom. Again, that's, I guess, if it's something that's going to develop our faith and develop spiritual maturity, there's a place for wisdom. Wisdom is not wonderful, but it's what we need to continue to put one foot in front of another. It not only tells us to request wisdom, it also asks us to resist doubt. It says, when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Let me tell you what doubt is. It comes from a word to separate. So I want you to think of circumstances, separate them. Well, think about circumstances in your life. What would you put in the good pile? Make a list. Good, bad. What's in the good side? You can think of things, can't you? One, two, three, four. Good side. Health. Bad side. What would you put in the bad side? Do you know what doubt means? creating a list like that. Doubt means to judge or separate. Separate things in our life into good and bad. Because what we end up doing when we separate things into good and bad, we end up, if it's good, naturally we want to retain it, right? We want to retain what's good. And if I want to retain what's good and you take it from me, that's bad. Okay, we want to retain what's good and contain what's bad. And so if there's something that's unwanted and we can't contain it, that's bad. When we judge things as good and bad, what ends up happening, we end up automatically doing things to retain the good and contain the bad. And uh, so what he's saying, in order to develop wisdom and to develop in spiritual maturity, We're going to have to learn, again, I want you to listen to me. (laughs) I label all the time. I don't label quite as quickly as I used to. Quite as quickly. There's no way we're not going to label things as good and bad. But little by little, we decrease our addiction to doing so. Um, Temptations are associated with suffering. Uh, So, what would you like to change in your life? What would you call bad? In this past past year, uh, what's bad? People who wear masks? People who don't? What's bad? Republicans? Democrats? You know what James is warning us against? Assuming that he will remove unpleasant circumstances and feelings from our life. That's what he's warning against. The assumption that he'll let me be with the kind of people I want to be with. People who do what I do. People who act like I act. He, it's, it's the assumption that God is, should allow me to be with people I agree with. Not people who think differently than I do. Because we don't like the tension of unwanted feelings. We don't like the tension, and I don't like the tension. And you know what the deal is? 
with respect to being spiritually mature, tension tolerance is non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. If you're going to be used in a significant way, tension tolerance is essential. And very, very challenging to develop, especially in an affluent nation. Well, we can get what we want, and we can do what we want. Um, what are temptations? Unwanted circumstances that dredge up unwanted thoughts and feelings. That's what temptations are. And they're non-negotiable with respect to spiritual maturity. James is warning against the assumption that God will or should remove something we would rather not have to endure. Again, it's okay to want that. The problem is assuming it. And then when we get into an unpleasant circumstances, what do we do? What do you do? What do I do? I tell you, I blame somebody. <laughs> somebody messed up. I have what I don't want to have. I do what I don't want to do. I'm thinking what I don't want to think, and I'm feeling what I don't want to feel. Who messed up? Somebody messed up. I might have messed up. It's my fault. If I was a better person, I'd have what I want to have. If I was loved more, I'd have what I want to have. Or it's not my fault, it's your fault. <laughs> or it's his fault. But when we don't get what we want, we blame somebody. And James is indicating that well, that's natural. Uh, blaming and judging is something that we have to learn to try to tune down. Try to tune down. Um, it would have us request wisdom and resist doubt. Uh, we think that God will remove what is displeasing to us. And when we think that God should remove what is displeasing, what happens when he doesn't? You know, we blame him. We blame ourselves. We blame our spouse. Blame our neighbor. It amounts to asking God to remove something he should not have allowed in the first place. You know, if we, we think that God is good, but if he allows something bad, now we've got a problem. And then I'm going to ask a good God who's in control to remove the bad thing. Do you understand? What that's that's double-minded. So, you know, God slipped. James goes on to talk about, well, what kind of temptation are these people dealing with? Look what James goes on to say, verse 9 through 11. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat, withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Um, it might be that the reason why James zeroes in on affluence and non-affluence, people who have a lot, people who don't, is that that's what the temptations were that they were dealing with. These probably, what James is writing to, are first century Jewish Christians who were displaced from Israel and moved into the Roman Empire. And so now, as Jewish Christians, they are not accepted by other Jews because they're Christians. And they're not really accepted by other Gentiles because they're Jews. And so, guess what? They're not going to have their best life now. And when they became Christians, other Jews who attended synagogues 
knowing that they were Christians, would not welcome them into the synagogue as they would if they did not profess this Christianity. And if you're a first century Jew, you know where you did business? In the synagogue. You know where you made friends? In the synagogue. You know where you met people? And in the synagogue. And so if you were a Jewish Christian, guess what? You committed financial suicide when you became a Christian. You're not going to get the business you once did. You're not going to get the job. You're not even going to be able to live in the neighborhood that, that you want to live in. Um, and you know what they could do? If they just went back to the synagogue, if they stopped going to church on Sunday, went back to the synagogue on Saturday, the tension would go. They'd be able to get the contact, have the business. And you know what that was? The, the, the thought of, I can go back. I'll go back. You know what that's called? A temptation. And it's bad, right? No, it isn't. You know what they had to do? They had to deal with what was ultimately important, and they had to wrestle with it. They had to feel the tension. You know, if I stay where I am, I'll be able to help other people get to know you. But if I go back to the synagogue, I'll have, be able to have a better life. And they had to wrestle with that. You know what God wanted them to do? Remember the two things? Request wisdom. Not, I shouldn't think this. God, I'm having a hard time. I don't have the life I want to have, and I want to be faithful to you, but I'm struggling. You know what God would say to somebody who requests wisdom? Good for you. We have a tendency to, to feel, I can't tell that because that's bad. And God says, don't judge it. Observe it. Touch it. Hold on to the tension. Hold on to my promises. I want you to ask me for wisdom. So this is going to be a bumpy ride. And if it's a bumpy ride, you didn't do anything wrong and neither did I. It's a bumpy ride if you're going to be useful. That's what, he, that's what James is, is saying. Um, the temptation to do so, however, was really strong to go back. And that's why they kind of ended up thinking that God might be to blame. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own. And this text says evil. And that's frustrating. You know, I, I bring it up. I could have used another version because there's translations of the Bible that don't have evil. But this is the NIV, and the NIV is a very popular translation. What it says in number, don't judge. Don't judge things as good and bad, good and evil. And then this word evil is inserted into a text that just said, don't see things that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's a real miss. That's a real miss. Because what James is indicating, our issue is not with evil desires. You know what our issue is with? Desires. Is it bad if you live in this house to see another house that is nicer? Is it bad to want it? Bad to want it. Bad to kill the guy so you can have it? Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's crossing the line. <laughs> but it's, it's, you, know what, you know what wanting it is? Human. You know what God wants us to do to hold on to? God, you know what? I both want that life and I don't. That's what God wanted from these first centuries. You know what God, 
I miss my neighborhood. And it's hard for me that I made a decision to follow Christ 20 years ago in Jerusalem. And it, and it affected me, but now it affects my wife. And she doesn't have the life that she wants. And now we have these two kids, Joshua and Jacob, and they can't get a good job. And they're persona non grata. God, some days I really have a hard time living a day at a time in an existence that I, it was not the existence that I wanted. To be able to be that honest, that's what James is encouraging. God, I need wisdom. I want to be faithful to you, but it's hard. And you know what? When you ask for wisdom, you know what ends up happening? You get the wisdom for the day, and then you wake up the next day, and guess what? That other life looks just as good as it did the day before. That's why God gives us wisdom a day at a time and manna doses, day at a time. Um, says, each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, he gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. It says God cannot be tempted by evil. So, if, you know, God doesn't have to worry about, you know, when you think about temptation, somebody sticking out his foot and God was stumbling over it into evil. You, it's not going to happen to God. It's just not. And it says, though, he doesn't tempt anyone. The word, the, inter, the images here is casting. You know, trying to catch you. God doesn't do that. He doesn't fish to try to get you to do something that, ah, gotcha. That's, that's what it's indicating. Um, I guess the issue is we are naturally tension intolerant. We don't like tension. We don't like not having what we want to have, not doing what we do, not feeling what we want to feel, and not, not thinking what we want to think. God teaches us to be, get this, we're not naturally very tension tolerant. And you know what God does? He puts circumstances in our life to develop, guess what? Tension tolerance. Tension tolerance. What God's going to do, he's going to put us in places that it's going to build tension. So slowly, our aptitude to be tension tolerant increases little by little. This is not something that you're going to solve overnight. Just little by little, 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 little by little. That's what, that's what James is talking about. Um, desire drags us away from tension tolerance. That's what desire does. I want to have what I want to have. I don't want to tolerate the tension of unwanted feelings. Do you understand that? I don't want to tolerate that. And you know what God says? I know. But if you're going to be useful, you're going to need to develop the ability to tolerate tension. And if you don't think that that is the way it is, I think what God would say, look at the life of my son. He was my beloved, God would say. Did he have, get everything he wanted? How useful was he? Very useful. He had to learn what we have to learn. Learning to live with disappointment makes a person useful. Learning to tolerate distress is a non-negotiable aspect of spiritual development. How do we cope with it? Quickly, a couple of words by way of application. Um, correction. Correction. Uh, 
A man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, why do you ask me about what's good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. You know what Jesus didn't do? Separate into good and bad. Somebody said, hey, Jesus, that goes in the good pile. And Jesus said, what are you talking about? I don't divide things into good and evil. He didn't judge them. You know, he, he, he didn't divide between good and evil. He divided in between God and not God. Not good and not good. Uh, learn to observe. Again, one word of application. Difficult. Learn to observe your thoughts and feelings without judging them. That's really difficult. Some feelings don't feel good. Just because they don't feel good, that doesn't mean that they aren't good. They might feel bad. That doesn't mean that they are bad. This feels bad is an observation. That's fine. This is bad. Is that an observation? No. You know what that is? A judgment. And that's what James says not to do. Go ahead. Yeah, it feels bad. Feels bad. I don't like the way this feels. That's honest. This is bad. Let's try to steer away from that. Make a distinction between describing the feeling and judging the feeling. And it uh, goes on. Well, was, you know, Romans 8.28, if you make a list and divide it into good and bad, you know what he says, all things work together for good. So you know what that means? To divide into a list between good and bad, you know what God says? You know, take this thing, this bad thing, that goes over there anyway. Would you agree with me that you can go through difficult things and get to good places? Well, look at where you are now. What is it that led you to a place where you would prioritize God to the degree you prioritize him? I would guarantee that it's not the good things that lead you to take God seriously. It's the hard things. They're bad things, right? 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 They're bad things, right? You can't call them bad, can you? If they lead to a good place. They feel bad. They were uncomfortable. Yeah, God causes all things to work together for good. Uh, another word, uh, Jesus, actually, yeah, it's in Revelation. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You know what the image is there? It's like if you prepared to drink a nice hot cup of coffee. You know what I mean? A nice, you know, sometimes you go to a restaurant and they get coffee. I've gone to McDonald's before where the, the coffee machine got unplugged. And so you ever do that? You know, so you're preparing for a nice, you know, a nice, and it's, and it's lukewarm. And you know what you do with lukewarm coffee? If you're inside, you don't do it. But if you're out, you and that's what it is. It's, it's, that's what it's about, lukewarm. It's not disgust. It's, it's just not, the, it's not temp, the temperature. Tepid coffee isn't any good. Um, that's, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What he's describing, they were affluent. We live in a, in a, in a tough thing. Affluence, our affluence puts us at a spiritual disadvantage. Again, I'm not going to move to another country. I like this country. But it, it puts us at a spiritual disadvantage. Affluence is difficult because we're used to 
having what we want to have, doing what we want to do, thinking what we want to think, and feeling what we want to feel. If I don't want to feel this, then I just scroll and I look at another different site on my, on my phone. It pulls me out of that bad feeling. Bad feeling. Um, he goes on. Jesus says, last verse we'll look at, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. If you've got everything you want in your life, it's not a good sign because those whom God loves, he rebukes and disciplines, exposes to difficult things. Uh, And then he says... Uh, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. God doesn't knock on the door of the Democrat next door in order to, to wise him up or the Republican that lives across the street. God knocks at our door, your door, my door. And he, what, does he, what does he knock for? What does he want? Um, he has, because he were poor, pitiful, naked. So you know what he has for nakedness? Covering. Our eyes salve. Don't have gold that won't pass away. Jesus is knocking. You don't have what you want to have. You don't do what you want to do, feel what you want to feel, and think what you want to think. What does he want? Does he want to shame me? Tell me how bad I am because I struggle with these thoughts and feelings. What he has, he understands where we are, and he wants to cover us, help us see, give us what will last. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. When you feel disconnected and alone, I want you to remember something. The reason why Jesus came and lived 30 years, he could have come at age 30, spent three years with the disciples and died. He could have, really could have. But then he wouldn't have been able to sympathize with you. You walk through things and you feel very alone. Jesus came so that he could sympathize. You dial him in. Jesus, thank you that you sympathize with my weaknesses. You understand what it's like to be pulled by desires. Father, thank you that you cause all things to work together for good. Give me wisdom. That's how we deal with temptations. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, thank you for your purposes. Um, You're not telling us that we should have a, uh, a false smile on our face when we go through different difficult things. Please, sir, give me another. That's not what this is saying. That's a mockery. Fact is, we are going through hard things. And you would have us not gaze at the circumstances and the feelings. You would have us glance at them to recognize them, observe them. You don't want us to gaze at them or judge them. You want us to glance at them and gaze at you and ask you for what we need for today. And then we wake up tomorrow and we ask you for what we need tomorrow and and the day after that. And you want to build an authentic, daily, honest relationship. I'd ask that you would 
increase our wisdom and decrease our judgment. In Jesus' name, amen.